Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Quanstrom, the CMO over at Science. Today's episode, the doctor is in. That's right. We have Chet Lovegren, aka the sales doctor. In fact, that's even what the name of his own podcast is. So we've got a true pro on. Um, Chet has actually led and managed and helmed and headed up uh, sales development teams for practically the last decade. So super deep experience. And you'll see why when we say we have the leading experts on ESD, we're not kidding. <laughs> In fact, uh, Chet actually takes that doctor role kind of like full circle. You're going to learn a lot about how to be prescriptive with a lot of your own sales development teams and solving problems and really like the mindset that your SDRs need to be in. This episode is really, it's just chock full of really good advice and insights. So without further ado, I'm going to skip right through this intro and get right to it. Here we go. So I'm back with Chet Lovegren, and you've got a great nickname. You're known as the sales doctor, Chet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a big title. Tell us all about that. How did you get that nickname? How did, how did that become a business of yours? And then we can explore what it means to be a sales doctor. Yeah, thanks for asking that question because uh, I don't get asked that question enough, and it is kind of a cool story. I'm a very temperamental person. I have very little patience for you know just doing you know madness for the sake of madness. Like I'm a fan of. There's got to be a method behind the madness, and I'm okay with the madness, but you have to you have to get the method out there. And I think that that has to do a lot with just see people changing jobs so much these days, and it's because they go and they work at these places, and the madness is just madness. There's no method to anything that. Eventually, they go take five grand more, sometimes five grand less to work at a different place doing the same role. They lose all the development, all the trajectory that they had at that previous company, if any. And so, you know, in the front half of 2020, like when COVID was going through things, it, it kind of opened my eyes to like, we have to think more prescriptive about the things that we do, not only as salespeople from a strategy perspective, but sales leaders from a leadership perspective, senior leadership and, and board members and founders from that executive perspective. Like we have to be more prescriptive with how we do things because ultimately we do, I would say, 90% of the companies I've worked with look at employees as a number. Like mm -hmm. top performer will say, I'm leaving. They're like, oh, well, we can match the offer. The person goes. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, we did what we could. But why did that person get there? You know, right. like what could we have done along the way to keep that person to help fight this, you know, 18-month average tenure of account executives, senior AEs that are just, I mean, you see it. You can look at anybody's LinkedIn and it's somebody has more than a year and a half of experience at a company. It's almost like, holy cow. Like I, I noticed a gentleman that had 14 years of CS leadership experience at a company and my jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, I can't believe that. You should earn like a gold medal or something, you know, for, for loyalty to a company. Maybe I get uh, my five-year mile marker at science. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. That's that's incredible. And, and you just don't see it a lot anymore. And that's because people lose their adoption and their buy-in because we just throw stuff around. You know, my old CRO at 3PL Central when I was there, Dan Salazar, shout out to Dan, great guy. And I learned a lot from him. And he used to say, uh, you know, when I when I got into, because I started there as an individual contributor, then I got my first leadership role with him as a SDR manager. And he said, you know, the biggest piece of advice I'll give you is there are reactive leaders that something will come down from the top and it's immediate push, immediate harp on this, immediate new process. And then they never revisit it again. You have yeah. to inspect what you expect. If mm. you say, hey, discovery, uh, pre-discovery call notes are this important because of this, and you implement it, and then you never spot check your created opportunities again to find out if everybody's doing it, or you never bring that conversation or circle back or highlight someone the following week in your weekly team meeting for doing a great job with their notes, then 
you're just being reactive because the director of sales said, we need better notes pre-opportunity. You know, when, when we walk into a discovery call, it's a whole nother thing we can get into about, okay, so let me hand everything off to the AE and run with it. They don't read the notes anyway. So why not have yeah. them do the notes? But totally. like, right, like there's a, there's a big discussion around the handoff process between SDRs and AEs that I'm really passionate about too. But it was about like, you know, you have to be prescriptive and you have to implement those things so that not only you're doing things correctly, but you're also enabling your teams and getting better buy-in and adoption because that can be really tough and it can be really tolling. And then things will happen to the, because 20% of your bad apples are doing something and then you enforce it on all 80% of the people that are just trying to do a good job. And then they feel micromanaged and squeezed and then they want to leave. And we manage to the minority instead of finding out what works for the majority. Like it always baffled me how many companies I worked at where it's like, you have a rep that's doing 130% of quota and that person has not sat in on one session to show everybody what they're doing, which led me to understand that, you know, patterns preach process. So they're either doing something sketchy in the CRM or something (laughs) unethical in their leads a negotiation, uh, or they're just really good and management is failing to put that person front and center to help enable the team, which always baffled me. But it's it's like, hey, if you have a problem, you have to be prescriptive about it instead of reactive, because we have a lot of reactive leadership where it's just solve for this, but just pushing a note template out to your team to use and then never doing anything with it again, other than just saying this is the new process is reactive. Prescriptive is I'm going to do this. And then what I'm also going to do in my regimen is I'm going to spot check every day at this time for 15 minutes at the end of every week on Friday. I'm going to spot check the, uh, the ops that were created this week. I'm going to highlight the person who did a great job in our next team meeting. I'm going to congratulate them one-on-one too, to make them feel even better about it. You know, like all these sorts of things that you can do, but you have to have that regimen, right? Doctor yeah. doesn't just say, oh, hey, you're struggling with this. Here's a pill, take it once, it solves all your problems forever. Doctor says, here you go, take twice a day with food if needed. One in the right. morning, one at night, right? And so, like, why don't we do the same thing in sales? It's all it's all science. It's all, right? You like that word play? Um, it. <laughs> it's all Very science, right? It's all, you know. yeah, there you go. It's all science. And so, it's about being prescriptive instead of being reactive. I love that. And thus, the sales doctor was kind of born, right? So, in the front half of 2020, and then... So, you know, you're doing a variety of like different types of kind of engagements and some consulting. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I've, over the last year, you know, gotten really serious about pursuing sales doctor a little bit more and opening up the opportunity there. And it really spurred out of my time working at Pavilion. You know, for those of you that don't know, Pavilion is a, is a company that focuses on membership and professional development and training. And and while I was there, and we at the time had, you know, most of our courses were actually through Sales Impact Academy until they built out their own university program. So I came in at an interesting time where I came in, started building out the SDR team, rebuilt the top of funnel process for individual applicants, kind of like junior AEs. So really had a, a big role there in reshaping that, getting that group up to 15 employees total on that sales part of the sales side. But not only creating the intercompany training, but also advising and consulting on how the pavilion courses were built out, giving feedback on what we built out, going through our first SDR school and seeing how it was and giving feedback that, hey, I think we should have one instructor through the whole thing, to which then they brought Kyle Coleman in and he does all the SDR school stuff now. And it's incredible and it's one of their best courses. And then also just seeing how the SIA courses worked out when we were still leveraging them as part of membership. I saw this thing called the forgetting curve in action, which mm. states that 87% of what you learn is gone within 30 days. <laughs> and it's and there's no way to fix it. Like you can't do better training because it's it's science. Again, that's how our brain works. Our brain is programmed to forget 87% of what we learn within 30 days. But there is a hack to it, which is the Ooh, way that like you read. Yeah, you reinforce the training. It's that inspect what you expect, that prescriptive follow-up, that regimen. And so part of what's really spurred out of that with Sales Doctor is going and teaching people these prescriptive methods, whether you're an S, a global SDR leader of an IT and security company that has 10 SDR managers and wants leadership training, or you're an SDR manager with 10 reps that want some sales tactical training, or maybe you're a VP of sales and you want your entire team, both from an individual rep and a uh, leadership perspective to go through training. I've been offering that. So in-person mm. workshops and events. I did a couple SKOs and RKOs at the beginning of the year and then a couple in the middle of the year for those wackos that have their fiscal year end after Q2, which I always think is really interesting. And then we did a lot, I did a lot of workshops and in-person events as well as virtual events 
did some work with SDR Nation. And, and so it started becoming this thing where not only was my name being passed around, but it was like, hey, I have a passion for this. And I have the experience that speaks to how to do it better. Like Pavilion and SIA do it great. But I kind of have an insight on how to do it a little bit better. And I want to take that to the masses. I want to take that to the people and help enable sellers as well as enabling leaders. Because right now you got to do more with less. There's an economic downturn. The economy is in a weird position. We put this really big focus on buyer enablement tools, but then people are seeing how little return of investment there is on buyer enablement tools. We're moving back to focusing on seller enablement now, or at least there's that we're starting to shift. We haven't gotten there yet, but it's like, you have to do more with less. You don't have these massive sales teams and people even saw like we got funding and we went and hired a bunch of people, but we realized that our people are only as good as the training that they have. Right. And then the enablement that we put in front of them. And uh, so that's really where we're kind of sales doctors headed and what we're doing. And I'm actually really excited. Uh, Q1 of next year is looking pretty healthy with the with the sales kickoffs and some some workshops and events. But we're just we're going to keep pushing through. There's a services side of the business. I'm happy to say we're working on a product side of the business to productize Ooh. this to some extent. Um, but that is, uh, yeah, that is the we're on a one year roadmap for that. So I won't have anything for anybody until uh, Q4 of 2022. Hopefully, going live in Q1 of 2024 with the MVP. But it's uh, I'd prefer to do it right. But the the beauty is that I have the services side of the business to filter clientele into the product side of the business once it's ready to go. Boy, that that is uh, you're a busy guy. That's a oh, lot yeah. of stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, got three kids. Also running the sales development team at Jelly Smack, so yeah, it's it, it keeps me uh, it keeps me pretty busy. But you know, luckily I have a great support system. Uh, my wife and I don't really have any family where we live in Los Angeles, so we're kind of on our own. So you know, she she understands the plan, and I think that's a really important thing too. I was talking with Kevin Dorsey about this outside of our podcast recording we did last week, but I was just telling him like he was also you know, a previous and, guest at on ESD. So that's awesome. Great yeah, yeah. Great and guest. His, this whole podcast is about, we talk about how to live better from a mm. life perspective so that you can sell better. And I said, you know, one of the things we talked about preparation, planning, and goal setting, but I told him afterwards, I was like, one of the things, if we ever did a part two, is I would like to talk about support systems and like what you do with your partner or your spouse. Because like the great thing is mm. my wife, my wife knows what the deal is. You know, I know a lot of people whose wives, like they have a vision of what they want now, but I'm like, she understands what we want life to look like in a decade. And she's willing to sacrifice a lot of date nights and, you know, other things that we might want in terms of like material things so that we can, and, and even time, like I still get good time with my kids and my wife, but she understands like he's in there working, you know, he's working, he's putting towards this. I'm doing this side of things and supporting him here. He's supporting me here. And it works great because like our marriage is incredible and we don't have a lot of that friction that I know a lot of other friends of mine have and just people in general can get, you know? And so like your support system is so, so crucial. that, And that's actually something that is interesting. I've never seen a, I don't know, thought leader, guru, sales trainer, whatever you want to call them, talk about this in any of their trainings, any university program, but it is like, and and that's why I like to talk about, I have in every presentation I have when I do longer engagements, like in-person workshops or like a 90 day training program, I have an entire section about the stuff outside of sales. That's literally what it's called, the stuff outside of sales. And it's about <laughs> support system, mental health. And I'm not a perfect person. Like I, I would be considered overweight. I would be considered overweight. I'm trying to get back in the gym. I'm trying to work out more. You know, that's one area of my life I've always struggled is like consistently working out. But there are a lot of things in my life. Like I, I chain smoked for 10 years. I Ooh. kicked that cold turkey in 2019. Congrats. Like I smoking for 10 years. Like that's a really hard habit to kick, you know? professional development. I was talking to Katie about this. 2019, I was a contrarian to reading books and doing goal setting and manifestation and affirmations because that's what all the hippies do. That stuff doesn't really work. Reading a book is not going to make me better at sales. Who's to tell me that? Like I was a contrarian to all that thought leadership and insight. And I was like, you just get better by doing. And then once I said, you know what, why don't I go give it a try? That's when my life changed. 2020, Mm -hmm. I was an individual contributor. Back half the year, I became a manager. Then I moved into a director role and now I'm in a head of role and I have a you know, a a business on the side that I run that's pretty successful and pours a good amount of income into my family. And that was just three years with no intention, just working hard and trying to get better. So now I'm like, hey, walking into 2023, I have my intention. I have my plan. What the heck is going to happen now? This is going to be incredible. 
And so I'm really excited about that. But these are the things that people don't talk about enough. And so I like to put those in trainings because that's another thing that, and it's a good refresher. Everybody talks about the perfect cold call, perfect email. Well, what about, what about the perfect block schedule, right? What about the perfect planning? To even get to that point, don't we need to be in the right frame of mind? And, you know, if you don't have a a particularly well-balanced or good support system and you're walking into every day at work less than, and I'll just leave it at that. Like people can define that in their own terms. Can you ever get to mastery? Can you ever get to peak performance? Right? Like it would be very hard, it seems yeah. to me. I don't I don't think you can. Because if you one of the one of the key things I show, and it's it's a controversial thing just because it's changed over time. But I in every presentation, it's called the finding your why. So I start off with walking through Simon Sinek's conversation about finding your why, start nice. with why. He takes it from a brand perspective a lot. But I show them the brand perspective where he talks about Apple's why versus like Microsoft's why. But I say that has to be you as an individual. Right. And so I apply that that way. But then as we dig deeper, I talk about motivation. I talk about how to prevent burnout. And one of the things I call out is this little concept called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep. Which is a a, a thing that is a uh, philosophical idea about being able to achieve one's full self-realization by achieving mm-hmm. different things along the way, like, you know, love, support, safety, and you apply those to different categories, right? Do you do you have a support group around you? Do you have a home? Like I've talked to people before that were SDRs that weren't performing well in like the LA area when I was had strictly LA reps. One guy was like, dude, I'm just tired all the time because I live in an apartment with two other people and they're both DJs. They go out to clubs in West Hollywood until two in the morning, and then they come home and they they blast music with their friends, drinking and partying until six in the morning. I'm up at work for seven. I'm up for work at seven. I go down to the gym, the apartment building. I work out for 45 minutes, come up, take a shower. I'm like four hours of sleep every day. And I said, look, I can't help you in that situation, but I can just tell you, you're never going to get anywhere if you still live in that environment. And so it may be more expensive to go live on your own. You may not want to move to a different area of town and pay less rent to share an apartment with one person as opposed to a nice apartment with three people. But you will not succeed if you live in that environment because it's not conducive to your goals. The environment that you're in does not support what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I mean, just to kind of like match that thought, especially in in congruence with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, our business has it had a few hundred folks um, based in Ukraine. And when the war broke out earlier this year, like, you know, all bets are off. If you can't address that that bottom line safety need and then, you know, kind of the basics of life, boy, it is hard to just move up the up the uh, triangle, if you will, yeah. <laughs> to the to the the higher rungs of self-actualization and a real you struggle. achieve the first one. Safety. Yeah. That's the first one. You can't be safe. Yeah. Well, uh, no, I'm sorry. I think the first one is physiological needs like air, water, but true, that might true. be a struggle too, right? If you don't have access to clean drinking water because your your neighborhood has been bombed or something to that effect. Or power or things of that nature. Exactly. And so, so it, re- it does make it really tough. It was a massive relocation exercise. But at any rate, bringing this all back around to kind of especially sales development, you know, there's a, there's a strong craft element in every sales development team, in every element. So I, I really think that you're onto something with thinking about, you know, a normal day is broken up into 24 hours. And if you just take an 888 philosophy, right? Like eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work, eight hours not spent working with your support system, how does that allocation kind of like reinforce the eight hours that you're at work and its craft element? Like you were just saying, you know, hey, I'm in a very fortuitous place with my support system, with my wife, mm-hmm. with my life where I can kind of the sense that I'm getting is go in and be that sales doctor, be prescriptive and and do some great work in the time where I have that work hat on. Yeah. And and you can pull, right? You know, I can't working full-time for a company, doing sales doctor stuff, doing my podcasts because I, I have two podcasts I'm running right now. Eight hours is not enough time to work, right? I'm in my early 30s. That's okay. 12 hours is what I need. So where do I get those extra four hours from? Again, my wife understands the assignment. So those eight hours of family and ancillary time, you pull two from there, you pull two from sleep, right? I yeah. can function on six, five to six hours of sleep a day. 
I got that from Jocko Willick. He was like, you can, your body can do it. Trust me. I've been doing it. And I was like, oh, let's see if you're just trying to be a contrarian and a thought leader or if that's really true. But I've, I've narrowed my sleep down to about, you know, anywhere between five and a half to six hours a night. And I'm, I'm, I don't notice a huge difference when I was sleeping eight hours. I felt sluggish because it's mm. the more you sleep, the more you want to sleep. Like it's comfortable, you know? Because if you, right, if you like really enjoy doing something, you want to keep doing it. Yeah. Not to say you have to, you know, have terrible sleep. You should have great sleep, restful sleep. And there are things I could talk about, you know, supplements like cinnamon pills and ashwagandha root. We could go deep into that. All those TikTok learnings I've got on how to sleep better and things that regulate your body. But I get a good restful five and a half to six hours. I wake up feeling refreshed and feeling great. And then, you know, six hours is a good amount of time to spend with my kids hour for dinner, hour for homework with my 11-year-old, you know, an hour for bath time in bed with the two little ones. I still got three hours left over where it's either my wife and I hanging out, maybe we're on the couch on our phones together with just something playing in the background, you know, on TV, or maybe we're actually watching a movie together, or sometimes we'll build together, you know, like, hey, let's sit down and, and I want to walk you through the budget this month so far. You know, we're halfway nice. through the month. This is the budget I did on Saturday. Let's see where we're tracking. And like, you know, what the heck we need to stop going out to eat with the kids. Like, let's make sure we let's, let's pick like two meals a week that we can do at home instead of, you know, going out and picking up takeout or taking them out to cheesecake factory or something like you have to do those things, whether you're, yeah. you're, and even if you're single, right, you still have to do those things with yourself or, you know, figure it out and you might have housemates, you guys can clean together or something, but you have <laughs> to build a little bit together. And so you have to really look at your time. And I, I think it's wild because working with SDRs, majority of them are single. Right. They, yeah. they, like their, their demographic is not traditionally where you and I are probably at, where they have like more responsibilities and all these things. It's like, you're just doing your own thing. And it's interesting how like this whole conversation about work-life balance and I'm burnt out and all these things. And it's like, well, it's because you're focused on work-life balance. Yeah. Work-life balance is BS. Right. You should be focused on what you're doing when you're at work, work, when you play, play, stop trying to do both. And that happens. We want work-life balance, work-life balance. You know, Jim Rohn always said that work is work and, and play is play. If you take your briefcase to the beach, your family's going to be pissed. If you try <laughs> to write an email at breakfast, that's going to be a weird email. When you work, work, when you play, play. Work is serious. You're parting with a piece of your life in exchange for something that won't carry on when your life is done. It's serious work that has really very little return on what you want to accomplish in life as a whole money aside, right? Yeah. So why would you want to try to play during that? And I see that all the time. It's like this work from home thing. And I'm going to go jump in my apartment pool for an hour. Why? Right. Why not bust your ass until four o'clock and then just hop off at four because you feel good about the day you put in. You created five opportunities. I don't care. You did a great job. You're pacing well. You put in your hours, you know, go yeah. jump in the pool. You don't literally have to sit at your desk from eight to four or nine to five. Work with what's comfortable for you. But do what you're doing when you're doing it wholeheartedly. Don't be sitting at your desk browsing TikTok. Schedule your distractions. If you want to go take 15 minutes to sit on the couch and watch some TikToks, do it. Like people notice that when we go to WeWorks as a team, I'll just like leave at like 11 o'clock and I'll go sit in the common area for 15, 20 minutes. And I'll just be on my phone looking at LinkedIn, looking at Instagram, looking at TikTok. That's my distraction time. 11 mm -hmm. to 11.30, you don't bother me. Um, that's my time to you know, get on social media on my phone, get another coffee, and then 1130, I'm back at it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we do. Well, you know, what I'm hearing um, that's really good advice, especially for younger SDRs and, and folks that haven't mastered time management, is really having an outcome mindset as opposed to a just showing up mindset. You know, mm -hmm. like an outcome mindset, what I heard in kind of the anecdotes you were putting forward were what it, what work am I going to need to put in to get to a result that you know at the end of the day is what I get paid for or what mm -hmm. the company really wants me to produce what will give value <laughs> to to yeah. to the company that I work for as well isn't it well I'm so I'm actually anti outcome mindsets I say focus on your inputs because you can't control all your outcomes right right. I had this goal when I was career pathing two years ago. I wanted to be a CRO by 35. Well, now if I look at what I'm doing now and where I'm headed, that's probably not going to happen because I'm going to be a CEO and founder of a of sales doctor, right? To a full-blown extent by that time. So that's not even like running somebody's revenue team, revenue org for a company is not in my goals anymore. Mm -hmm. This is my goal. But it's not 
because of an outcome mindset. It's because of the inputs. It's because of I was putting myself in front of people. I was going to their events. I was I was doing these things with sales doctor that now it's like, hey, there's a real possibility for this to be a, not only a full-blown services business, but there's also a product that yeah. we could potentially offer on top of this. That by the time I'm 35, being a CRO is going to be like a step down from where I'm at, you know? Yeah. So I say it's, it's really all about focusing on your inputs because you can't control what happens in the future, you know? I sure. couldn't, I couldn't control, you know, the, the fact that, I mean, I left pavilion when I did, I don't think that was in the cards. I don't think I was planning on leaving when I did, but the work and the effort that I was putting into building my brand on LinkedIn, having a good track record, having good referrals led me to be recruited by the place that I'm at now full time to be doing what I'm doing now and have the mm -hmm. responsibility that I have. But it's, it's so, so I think as long as you focus on your inputs, especially at an SDR level, you can make a hundred calls and bug kiss could happen. Then. You know what I mean? Right. You can make 20 calls and book five appointments. It ebbs and flows so crazy. As yeah. an overall scale, though, that's where your sales math comes into play. So you do need to kind of reverse engineer based on outcomes to understand what your inputs are. But you have to focus on the inputs and not just the inputs, but strategically approaching the inputs. Because just picking up the phone and calling isn't going to, you know, making 100 cold calls is not going to be successful. Making 100 good cold calls is what's going to make you successful. But that's part of what sales doctor is trying to help people accomplish is enabling people to get to a point where they're leveling up their skills so that they're not making the perfect cold call because perfect is the enemy of great, but we're yeah. making good, at least good, if not great cold calls. Well, and I'm also a believer, you know, Stephen Covey once said, I think it was in the seven habits, begin with the end in mind, which is probably like a, a middle place between having an outcome mindset and controlling the inputs. Because if you, you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And so at the end of the day, like I would want people to not just mindlessly be toiling away, again, making those hundred cold calls kind of like thoughtlessly, I would want them to be very focused on, well, where do I want this call to end up? Yeah. I want to be intentional about exactly the value that I want to bring to the other person, the discussion that I want to have, the the patterns that I want to recognize of of successful cold calls, so that if the circumstance presents itself to guide this person towards, yeah, Tuesday at one works fine for me. <laughs> that there's you know somewhat of a formula to getting us there in some sort of a, a repeatable process. Yeah, given that I'm going to do this every day. Well, to your point, you have to, you do have to think about the outcomes. So that is important because that's how you goal set. You have to plan yeah. backwards. One of the outcomes I wanted was to be a CRO by 35. Yeah. The plan that I put in place, the things I was doing to get there were the inputs. That's what I was focused on. I know what my goal is. I know what I want the outcome to be, but what I'm focused on is how do I do this? How do I do that? And the other, and by focusing on those inputs, it got me to a different place. I didn't think I could be but it's getting me closer to that outcome that may not end up being the real outcome sure. but I won't be I won't be disappointed by that right cuz that that'll happen too an SDR will go oh man I hit 80% of quota I'm just chasing that 80% of quota and I'm not hitting it there's your why it's gone yeah what about the feeling of like well I had five really good conversations today and I might not get all of them but I'm going to get two of these people within the next quarter for sure right you know I'm filling my conversation pipeline look at all these people I've talked to like I love I love conversations because it's like, these are all people that are future follow-up. You may not win it right now, but you can win it in the future. And that's, that's the point of ramp too, right? You're building your conversation pipeline. So when you're fully ramped in three to four months of work, you're like, Hey, we talked last quarter. You said this would be a bigger initiative. Now let's chat. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why, they, that's why you're not fully ramped in your first month. It's all about building those conversations and then replacing those conversations that you did build with new conversations, because that's what Jeb Blunt talks about in his 90 day pipeline. But yeah, it's, it's, you have to, you do have to think about the outcomes you want, backtrack to goal set and understand what you need to do to get there. But every day you need to be looking at your inputs because the inputs are going to take you there or higher, right? So cracking the egg a little bit on kind of what you see or insights, if you will, around either as a sales doctor, time at Pavilion, current role as, as head of sales development. What are the, the current hobgoblins, that, as you see it, standing in the way of the performance that, that everyone wants to have in, in sales development? Oh, man. The main hobgoblin is the... the uh, and, I, and I say this as someone who, without somebody actually having a conversation with me, would probably call me one, which is okay. But it's the, uh, the thought gurus of LinkedIn that have turned it into a social media app that is nothing more than a Russell Brunson click funnel ad of TikTok. 
look like I think looking at someone's background when looking at what they're talking about is important. Not to say if you've never worked for someone a day in your life, you don't have merit to what you're saying. But I think like eat the fish and spit out the bones. I'm really getting fed up with SDRs, especially young, impressionable people new to the game, heeding the words of people who maybe read a book, did it once, and then said, I'm a consultant Mm -hmm. and figured out how to trick a LinkedIn algorithm or a TikTok or YouTube algorithm to get their content out there and earn a huge follower base. I'm a really big fan of people who have worked really hard, read a lot of books, and then did it a couple times over. It's one of the main reasons I decided to go to another company with an ele- with like I say elevated because it's a step up from director, right? It's why I chose to go to another company with that you know level up in title to go do it a third time around, building it so I can say, hey. You look at my track record, manager to director to head of sales development, built three teams from scratch. I am the expert in this because I know what the heck I'm doing. I'm not in a first-time SDR manager who's like, this is the perfect cold call. Let's be honest. Nobody's going to make the perfect cold call or perfect email anyway. So I try to stay away from those. I like to talk about the things that can turn an average seller great, which is the time management, calendar scheduling, calendar blocking, all that stuff, goal setting, preparation, objection handling people don't talk enough about everybody's afraid to talk about objection handling which is really interesting to me like where did that go that was like what it's all about the first 10 seconds of the call but it's like who's going to talk about objection handling but i think that's the big hobgoblin is people who create good content who figured out how to trick an algorithm in a youtube page and and linkedin and that's why i say that's why i'm a good guy to follow because no matter how hard i try i can't crack a thousand followers on tiktok so i don't know the algorithm i just put the content out there i can't i can't my subscriber count is so low on youtube nobody cares to follow me on linkedin that's how it works right so i'm actually your guy because I'm not over here with billions of people trying to engage with me because i create flashy content i have like somebody pointed out to me he said one of my guests that I had on a podcast a few weeks ago, he said, I'm continually impressed by the level of engagement that you get on your posts. And I said, yeah, that's because I get maybe like 40 or 50 invites every week or so. And I probably deny over half of them because I only want to follow people that I know are going to engage with my content or that are going to be relevant to what I'm doing. So like, you know, director of product marketing. I don't really know if I don't really know you, like I don't have a reason to engage with you. I want SDRs, SDR leaders, account executives, senior AEs, directors of sales, VPs of sales, founders, CEOs, heads of sales. Like I'll dabble a little bit in success if people want to have a conversation, but I want to stick to my peeps and my community and my network. So those 288, you know, interactions on a post with likes, hearts, idea bulbs and all that, out of the 6,800 people that follow me is much higher than someone who has 20,000 and gets 100 because I have actual connection. I have actual community and I'm okay keeping that way. Like yeah. some people are surprised when they talk to me like, you don't even have 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. You even crack that. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care because I I, I do well with what I have already. I'm fine You're measuring that. I'm the like, wrong vanity metric. Yeah, you're measuring the wrong metric. Let's look at engagement rate. And that's all yeah. because I've worked hard to build that community around myself And um, I heard a comedian one time say, it's really interesting that we spend all of our life trying to get the 99% of the people in the world to like us when there's 1% of the world that'll take us as we are, because 1% of the world is still like 500 million people. (laughs) It's like, that's incredible. That's so true. We spend 99% of our time trying to look like everybody else on LinkedIn that are having these thought leadership conversations. But you know, nobody has the the cojones to come out and say like, hey, stop following these people that just figure out how to trick the algorithm. I'm okay saying that though. And my community engages with that because, you know, like minds attract like minds. So yeah, I think the biggest hobgoblin is that though. It's the duping of the content creation and the tricking of the algorithm to post someone as a thought leader hmm. or something when it's really like, but what are they, there's what they're saying might sound good hypothetically, but let's, let's throw them on a LinkedIn live cold call with Kevin Hop and see how it goes. You know what I mean? Like where Kevin's out here doing these LinkedIn live calls and crushing it and booking real appointments, not just role-playing LinkedIn, you know, role-playing cold calls with one another. Totally. Totally. Well, let's get into objection handling because I find it to be the most fascinating subject. You know, if you break open, especially Let's focus on on the calling channel because objection handling over emails can be a little bit more thoughtful, but it's also fraught with peril because it's not a synchronous medium. <laughs> I like but, that synchronous medium. <laughs> well, you know, like at the end of the day, like 
however bright, clever, and and amazing your email response might be, if it lands in spam or I never saw it, if I'm on the buy side, too bad, so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. know, um, when you're on a call and it is synchronous, you actually have the benefit of direct response, right? So mm-hmm. whatever you say that gets a response back, even negative, even a, an objection, is an opportunity, is it not? That's the first place to start with objection handling. Yeah, it is. And I'll tell you, the secret sauce is if somebody objects to an email, don't respond to that email. Give them a call. Yeah, Give them a call. If they don't answer, leave a voicemail. Hey, got your email. I had a quick idea. I wanted to run by. I'll just shoot you back another email. Or, hey, I'll respond to your LinkedIn message. That's going to net you so many, so many more results and booked opportunities, or at least warm reception into whatever your rebuttal is, right? So there's the there's the sales doctor prescription number one. Yeah, <laughs> Doctor's right. orders number one for everybody. Pick up the phone. A, yeah, just pick up the phone. Give them a quick call. Hey, totally understand. If now is not the right time, could you help me understand when it's going to be a bigger priority for you and when this would this your initiatives would align with our value proposition? I think so. Somebody that does this really well is Ronan Pissar from Stylo. And he publishes some of his uh, like best cold calls with like through Descript. And so it's like narrated and it's really cool. But one thing I've noticed that I don't even know if he's doing it, but I've always looked at objection handling this way is when you get into, when you're thinking about the cold call, you kind of go through your stuff and whether you call it a leading question, qualifying question or whatever. Once you get to that first question that you really want to ask to qualify or understand your prospect's current state, when you're met with an objection, objection, value prop, number one. Objection, value prop number two. Objection, value prop number three. Objection four, call it quits, right? Yeah. Some people front load that. They go value prop one, objection, value prop two, objection, value prop three, and then close it out if they get another one. So you could expedite that. But he kind of does that. He states Stylo's value prop. They kind of give him some like, eh, well, we can already accomplish that with our own in-house system. He's like, okay, okay, great. And this is meant to be a gotcha, but do you know how to do X, Y, Z with that system? Because that's what another value prop of Stylo. And they're like, yeah, but we don't really have budget even if we want to do that. So objection number two. And then he gives them another value prop in the form of a question. So being able to intertwine your value prompts in the form of a question to handle objections, I think are really important. And everybody, you know, you should always have your three main pillars of value. And I think, I don't know if he knows he's doing that, but he definitely is. And it's awesome to watch happen because he's like, hey, leading question about value. And then they respond with how they're doing things. And yeah. but we're not really interested in talking about it. Okay, well, this is meant to be a gotcha, but value prop number two in the form of a question. Yeah. Well, yeah, but this, that, the other is how we do it, but I don't really have budget for anything like this. Okay, but value prop three poses a question. And do you see value in that? Well, yeah, I do. And we don't have a way to accomplish it like that. And I don't feel good about the way it's being done right now to where then he's booking a meeting. You know, So I always say like, yeah. if you can find a way to intertwine your objection handling, your value props into your objection handling in the form of a question, like, hey, do you have a way to do this, right? So like, I'll, I'll ask people with sales doctor, I'll be like, hey, how do you measure, uh, how do you effectively measure the skills of your reps after their 90-day onboarding? How do you do that? Like, I right. mean, most people do it just via like anecdotally from manager, weekly manager one-on-ones and the bi-weekly team training that we do, which is usually focused on process and product anyway, and not core competency about how to sell better, but but how do you do that? Oh, right. we do this, that, the other. Okay, and then how do you monitor, manage that, and then implement that into their mid-year and annual reviews for career development? Oh, well, this, that, the other. Like Those are different value props of sales doctor and things that we can offer. And yeah. so those are the things that I ask when we're getting this, well, we already handle that, we're all good, you know? And yep. then you intertwine your value props as questions. So I think, I think that's really cool. And shout out to Ronan for handling objections and moving the calls forward as he does, which again, like I said, I don't know if that's like his method and that's what he knows he's doing, but I could definitely see it that way. Cause I've always felt that you should be intertwining value propositions as questions throughout different, different rebuttals in, in the, in your, uh, your conversation roadmap. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think that that's a solid approach because questions allow for dialogue and dialogue is what furthers a conversation. Is it not? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's uh, it's the it's the whole thing that Marvel's doing right now. They don't buy sixty second spots on TV anymore. 
they do a 30 second spot where they say, go watch the full trailer on YouTube. And now someone will go to YouTube to watch the whole trail, two and a half minute trailer. And they make ad money on, on YouTube because they play a commercial before that. And they get some YouTube revenue as a par- brand partner. So it's a win-win for them. They probably Loss pay, later. They probably, or, or yeah, win-win. Yeah. Well, they, they, probably, they probably pay back the cost of the TV ad, you know, with their YouTube earnings. And then they're getting 15 million, 20 million views on a trailer for a movie. Yeah. That's super smart. Because, you know, as someone who's been on the buy side for decades, uh, dates self badly, I get cold calls all the time. And it's it's very rare that that I I get people that are actually genuinely curious and mm-hmm. interested to ask questions and have thought through their value props in a way of like forming them in the form of a question. Yeah. Right. Like the more common, well, the, the very common archetype is just asserting, is just talking at people. It's pitching, mm-hmm. you know, over and over and over again. And it's such a it's such a hard habit to break, I think. Because I can yeah. hear people coming right out of training, right out of what they're taught, right out of what they think they should be doing, and right into, yeah, no. <laughs> and getting that zone of resistance, as uh, Josh Braun likes to say. Well, and, and, and that's normal though, right? Because when somebody's training at your company, the thing that you can put your finger on and go, we know more about that than anybody else is what? Differentiation. Your well, your product, yeah. yeah, your product, the differentiation of the market, how it disrupts. So we get into this blah, 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 feature dump about our product. And I guarantee you probably, Eric, on, on most of those cold calls, the way they start the call is, hey, I'm reaching out to you because my company does this, 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 and this. That's right. <laughs> and they, instead of asking you a question on the front end, you know, right. hey, I was reaching out because I work with a lot of founders to help enable and train their teams and help cover their skill gaps. I was curious, how do you accomplish that with your team once an or individual contributor or a sales leader is onboarded past their first 90 days. Right. Right. Like, how do you do that? Is it just because I know how it's done? It's manager one on ones and bi weekly team trainings and sales meetings. That's it. And usually, the any type of training is just focused on product or process. Hey, this is how we're going to get notes into the system now. Hey, this is a new feature in our, you know, warehouse software tool. Very little like effective discovery, even like, like, and, and this also comes from me evaluating 28 different softwares when I started at JellySmack in the last quarter. I looked at these sale, the way these AEs were conducting themselves, and I was blown away. I texted one of my uh, buddies that was uh, Pavilion, Joseph Alvandi, and I was like, I was like, man, bro, if you can just be 5% better than everybody else, you're going to make 80% more than everybody else because nobody knows what they're doing. This is crazy. Like, yeah. I had somebody using Bant on me. At a very well-known software company that I'm not going to state using Bant and like acting like that was the reason for it. And I'm like, when did you ever go to buy a car and you told someone how much you were exactly paying on your car payment? Budget is irrelevant. Let's talk about buying power, though. And that's something you can scope ahead of time. Does my company fit the size of company that typically will buy your software at this level of package? You can yeah. scope that, but my budget is irrelevant. You're not going to get me to move because of my budget. And I think it's just an adaption to great sales books too, like To Sell is Human by Daniel H. Pink. The great yeah, book great just book. about people movement and, and there's a little storytelling intertwined. And it just really hits on like people, you know, uh, what was one of the things he said? Incite emotion, but justify rationally, like that age old yes. saying, like it's in the book mm-hmm. somewhere. That was like kind of one of my takeaways was like hit on the emotional sides, but then justify it rationally. So like, get me to where I am emotionally. I used to tell people that at Pavilion, the C, the the SDRs there and stuff. I would say, hey, if you're talking to an SDR manager, or director of sales, like, what do you think they want out of life? They want to kick ass so they can get to the next role. They yep. want to get to the next level of leadership. So show them how they can. This will enable their team to do that because you got to speak selfishly to them, but then justify your reasoning with ROI. Right, and that's when we saw like. You know, they're having the last two quarters and I, I, you know, I was there for two quarters ago. I wasn't there in the last quarter, but you know, 90 days of effort adds up. So what was happening last quarter was leftover from my last quarter with them. They set company records from what right. I heard and their growth was just astronomical and their sales leaders are posting about best quarter ever. Well, yeah, that's because, you know, in Q2, we started having changing our talk tracks and then Q3 was just freaking on fire. All the efforts were, were following through with all the appointments that were generated from the SDR team, which is awesome. Could you give a rough thumbnail sketch of the before and after? Like what 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 was like changed? 
I think uh, like in terms of like how like our sales process, or you're talking about for just this, like the the messaging. It sounds to me like was the key to all of this, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, I was gonna say I thought you were talking about numbers, and I was like, I think I have an NDI. I can't tell you what no, your no, no, AR no, 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 metrics no, no, are, no. but I can tell you it grew. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I, the big thing was messaging. Yeah, right? the inputs, uh, if you will, to dovetail on your earlier yeah. assertion. Because, you know, you're always going to struggle with getting people to hit cold call numbers, activity numbers. I think that one thing they started really adapting well once I left, because uh, one of their reps, again, guy that I worked with past, Joey Alvandi, he was working there. He got really big on posting on LinkedIn, and they got a really big social presence over last quarter. So that was one thing that they implemented that worked really well. One thing that I was working with them on when, when I left was that change in messaging of like, Hey, it's great to talk about all the stuff this is going to do for the business. Guess what? That SDR manager doesn't care. He wants to know how can I get these eight people who probably really don't want to be here right now and want to be doing something different than making 100 cold calls excited about making 100 cold calls and having 15 conversations. And so you want to hit on that. You want to insight emotion and then justify rationally. And it was when we started doing that and changing the way that we talked about things. And how's that going for you with your new solution that you're doing? Because we, you know, we want to understand their context of why it's a problem, understand the expertise of how they're solving for it. And then when they tell us all the things like, oh, I got under control, but this is still a problem. Okay. And what does that mean for you six months down the road if this continues right. to be a problem? Well, I don't know. I mean, with the economy, I mean, I've been here, you know, only six months. I could be out of a job within a year. Right now you're getting people to think like, hmm, we would send emails with a subject line to VPs of sales. Like we would find their directors of sales names. We'd be like, what if Eric quit tomorrow? That would be the subject line. 80% open rate. You know what I mean? It's right. like, do you know that most sales leaders quit within, leave jobs within 18 months because they feel they're not receiving the professional development and their teams are not receiving the core competency training. They need to be successful and fulfill senior leadership's requests and revenue targets. And you're sending that to a VP of sales and he's like, oh man, my director of sales, is, is, is he or she getting everything they need? Maybe I really need to consider something like this. You just want them to open the email, right? You, you know, like you said, you get 20 seconds to get 30 seconds to get a minute. You get five seconds from the subject line to get 20 seconds in the email. And so I think it, it was that input of the messaging. You just got to change the messaging and you got to speak to people's selfish needs because we're all humans. Yeah. We're still humans, even though we're making buying decisions and we might have more decision makers because that's what we have to do in B2B. We're still humans and the human still wants more money, more title, more power, more success. That's what we want. If or or less effect, later. right? Less yeah, headaches. Less headache. Yeah. Less there you stress, go. Less monotony. Less, less turnover. Like, yes. And and having it be, you know, it's funny that subject line is actually probably like one of the best personalized subject lines I've heard in a long time. Mm -hmm. If you yeah. really think about it, because you're 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 bringing it to you know like their workplace and a name that they would immediately recognize. Yeah. And presenting them with like, well, what uh, what if scenario? Okay, mm -hmm. you've got my attention at that point yeah. in time. Yep. Talk about personalization. Like that would be a great course, if you will, or methodology in how to unpack that. Well, and, and yeah, there there are, um, I mean, there are a lot of good tools out there that will help with this and AI tools that'll write your sequence or your email. And I'm not, I'm not pooping on their parade. I think there's a place and a time for that, but I think we've removed so much of the human element and the due diligence that we can do. Yeah. Like even just looking on the internet to see what's going to be most relevant to someone that we're talking to. We're just relying so much on software to do it all for us. Software shouldn't do it for us. It should enable us. I don't know. I have, And, and that's a weird thing to say because part of the sales doctor product is going to be a little bit through AI and machine learning, but it's, you know, sales coaching on demand, things like that. Things that the reason it's scalable is because we've built profiles and algorithms onto your deal cards that help you understand deal health, help you detect things before the deal dies, right? We're playing on sales doctor, give you some prescriptions, some doctor's orders. So there is, a, an, there is an AI machine learning component, but it's built by you, the, the customer, and the uh, people at sales doctor. So there's a human element to it still. Um but yeah, it's, it's people have lost that personalization and and not even just so much personalization. Hey, I saw you went to XYZ University, blah, 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 blah. It's personalization, right? Hey, I see your VP sales. Hey, I see your CRO. But then also not, not only forgetting to speak to the persona, but speaking to the person. 
So right. because you're a VP of sales, I know these are typical as, as an expert in this industry, I know these are things you struggle with, but I also know these are probably some of your goals, give or take, yeah. you know, and this is how we accomplish that with others. Interested in learning more? That's simple. You know, keep your emails totally. under 100, 100 words. Like, it's so simple. It's like cutting to the chase. I don't need a listicle. I don't need your best in practice water cooler pitch at the front end of the email. I don't need you to ask if I'm doing well or I hope all is well. Like, just just tell me why it's relevant. You know, what is the what is the relevance? What is the current state that I'm facing as this role? What is the future state that I can earn? What's your call to action? And then one thing I really love in emails is done by Beck Holland. She calls it the push-pull method. So you can put PS or either way. And that's where you put your formality. Hey, PS, Eric, great connecting with you on LinkedIn. Looking forward to engaging with your content further. And that's right. a nice little thing because you just have this hard ask of like trying to like get them interested and stuff like that. And then you kind of lighten it with like, even if you don't want to, you know, even if, uh, even if you don't want to fall through with what I'm asking, let's stay connected. You're, you're keeping it open for the future correspondence, which I think is awesome. So shout out to Beck. Yeah. Great, great content coming from her uh, consistently over the years too. The thing that I, I, I'm hearing that, tell me if you agree with this kind of like mental model. What I'm really hearing, especially with messaging kind of like rework or it's almost boiling away the superfluous, the like the parts that just don't matter, the parts that would be all about me, 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 the parts mm -hmm. that like would otherwise in a vacuum, people would think, oh, this sounds good, but it's not really relevant to the person who's receiving it. Would you yeah, say that's yeah. a fair, you know, lens to throw on this? 100%. And, and it's, it's okay that it happens because again, what is somebody coming out of training going to know more than anybody else that they're talking to? Their product, their company, their brand, their mission, their value statement, their org chart, all of them. When we talk about companies, persona training is like 20 minutes. Last. Yeah, it's like a 20 minute session wedged between problem and process. That's where totally. it always is. Here's the problem. Here's who we solve it for. And here's the whole process. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't care if someone knows how to correctly disposition a dang call and outreach, get them talking to people. You know what yeah. I mean? We'll figure out the rest later. Not to say you shouldn't take your enablement and training and onboarding time appropriately, but it's like, I've met people, I met SDRs come out of training that know how to use Salesforce better than account executives, but couldn't to do a cold call to save their life, you know? Yeah. If they don't understand who they're talking to, why it's relevant or what they're trying to get out of it. They earned a one-way ticket to sales ops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, well, I, I feel like we could kind of riff light on this front all day long, but as luck would have it, um, our podcast still needs to be within the bounds of listenability. Yes. So <laughs> what I would love is if, um, Chad, if you could wrap up by kind of telling those one percenters out there that like heard you talk and said, you know what? That speaks to me. That's part of my tribe. I want to be part of his community. Where do they go? Yeah, just go to LinkedIn, Chet Lovegren, aka The Sales Doctor. We got a little stethoscope at the end of it. That's the best place to connect with me. You'll see there's a link underneath that says free re sales resources here. There's uh that'll that'll get you to all my social content on TikTok, Instagram, the sales sequence outbound strategy guide that I have for free that you can download. You can join my little my little tiny newsletter, my little one percenters that like to listen to me every Friday rant about sales and 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 the world and the state of the economy as it is today. I'm happy to say that in the course of six months, I've only had two people unsubscribe. So it's a pretty darn good rate when you're firing off an email every Friday. So it's it's going so far so good. So I have found my little community one percenters. If you want to be part of that, just connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the best place to get at me. That's wonderful. Well, this has been a, a very fun conversation. We we touched on a lot of different uh, subject matter, some in the workplace, some outside of the workplace, some really sage advice from you on how to handle objections, how to basically handle one's life trajectory. And thank you for sharing your own here. Really great discussion. Thanks, Chet. Yeah, thanks, Eric. You bet. <laughs>